Good morning. It is a privilege to be here. I, I get to uh, get out of school for a little bit, and I, I brought my, my students with me. I said, do you, do you want to have a sub, or you just want to come with me? Field trip, road trip, here we are, all the way down the street. So be nice to the tri-state students. Maybe they'll come here someday. All right. Well, welcome, alumni. Some of you I know from apparently a long, long time ago. We are very old. It's all relative, right? It's good to see some of you again. I've got to run out and go back to class right after this, so it's not, don't be offended. But uh, we'll re- return later today for the golf tournament. And uh, there's one key word. Noah is going to golf with me. Four. Remember that word, okay? Noah. my job to embarrass him. All right. Well, you know, as uh, I, I was asked, what passage are you going to be in? Uh, and I, I wanted to be here in Philippians, because you right now are looking at Galatians, and you've been talking about what, what is produced in your life from the flesh when you're outside of Christ. And we know the sin nature, right? We know it firsthand. And then you have on the other side, the fruit of the Spirit, though, love and joy and peace and You know it. You could even sing the song. I wanted to focus on peace today, and it fits off in perfectly with what we're we're doing. We're we're looking at our past, and we're so thankful for our anchor. We're so thankful that although things change, our God number does. And those kind of thoughts and meditations bring that internal peace. And that's what I want to talk about today, the fruit of the Spirit, peace. And I had given the specific passage, and we read up through verse 7. But as I studied it a little bit more, I realized I should have given you a little bit more. Because Paul is going to give us some antidotes to worry and anxiety, and they go all the way through verse 9, if you will. So can I keep reading a little bit further? Look at verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. You've all probably heard this before. When you talk about peace, we always end up going back to this particular hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. You know it probably, and you know who wrote it. In 1873, Horatio Spafford, he went on a trip. But before he went there, a horrible trip, he had sent his dear wife and his four little girls on a French ship from their home in Chicago on a vacation across the sea in France. And he was planning to come a little bit later. He had to finish some business up back in Chicago. Well, they're sailing along. And somewhere in the Atlantic, his family ship collides with a British ship going the opposite way, and their ship with his wife and four little girls sank in just 12 minutes. Of his family, only one survived. His wife would sell him, send him the terrible telegraph that read simply, I'm saved alone. Saved alone. As a parent, I can't even fathom. That's my worst nightmare is to lose a child. In much grief, Spafford took the next boat over, and he, they literally passed over where his family's ship had sunk. And as they passed over that scene, he penned out these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, 
when sorrows like sea billows roll, and he continued on until he had this text, it is well with my soul. Can you imagine writing that as you sail over your, your children's grave? And I can't even imagine. He is a beautiful example. His words are a beautiful example and illustration of this peace that Paul talks about here in Philippians chapter 4. That peace that transcends all human understanding. It must be supernatural. It's the kind of peace that guards your heart where the feelings are and it guards that mind where your thoughts are. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever my lot, You've taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Do you you hear the peace, the equilibrium in him? He is a man who has inner tranquility. So how could you write those words? That's what we want to see today. And so I want to talk about peace, but we need to make some distinctions. You, You probably know, especially if you've taken Romans with Doc McLeod in the past, he, he talks about the distinction between peace with God and the peace of God, right? You know that distinction? Peace with God is another way of speaking of the doctrine of reconciliation, where once we were enemies, now we are friends. That hostility has been removed because someone paid our sin debt before a holy God, and now we are reconciled to God. There's no more enmity and hostility Hostility between us and God, that relational hostility is now gone if you're in Christ because of what Christ did. And now you can enjoy that relational peace, peace with God. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, when he says, Therefore, having been justified, having been declared righteous in God's sight, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That relational peace, a peace treaty is before all of us. And we're all encouraged to sign our name to God's peace treaty. His son has ratified it. He's signed his name to it in blood. We can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I never assume when I'm in a classroom that because a student or a person is in a Christian school that they're a Christian. It's because you're in a garage doesn't mean you're a car. Do you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? through faith alone and Christ alone and what he did for you. And and once you have that certainty, I'm justified in God's courtroom. I'm acquitted. I have peace with the God of the universe. Then do you see how peace, the peace of God floods your soul? That, That inner peace, that equilibrium, that peace of mind, that tranquility, you become like a tranquil pond, a still pond in a crazy, stormy world. So it's, That peace of God is that subjective peace, that internal peace of conscience, knowing that the work is finished. And that is something I've experienced, and I think you have too. One writer said, this is the serenity, this peace of God. It's the serenity and the tranquility that comes from knowing our God, from knowing his saving work, and from knowing that our time, our lives are in his hand, and that nothing will happen to us that he doesn't decree or permit. That brings me peace. But you have to understand that in Scripture, this peace of God, this inner peace, it's not automatic. It's just not automatic. You don't just get it. You have to be intentional. And by the way, it's not something you 
put on your life. It's not something you decorate your life with. You're not a Christmas tree adding plastic fruit to your life. This is organic. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's something only the believer can know, this peace of God. It's not automatic, though. You have to, can I use the language of John 15? Jesus teaches us that he is the vine, we are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, stay connected to me, walk intimately with me, and you'll bear much fruit. And one of those fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at the context of that Galatians passage where you have the fruit of the Spirit, look at verse 19 where he says, you have to walk by the Spirit. This is not automatic. You have to walk by the Spirit. He says in Galatians 5.25 that we live by the Spirit. We now have the Spirit of God within us, believers. And so he says, keep in step with the Spirit. Walk to the beat of his drum. Listen to his proddings. Be in the Word of God so the Spirit of God can move you and work in your life and convict you. Walk in tune with the Spirit. In other words, abide. Abide in Christ. Walk intimately with him, and he will reproduce his character, his person, in you. And see, that's the uniqueness of Christianity. We're saved by grace. Every other religion tells you to climb and strive. But not only are we saved by grace, we're also indwelt by God's Spirit, and he reproduces the life of Jesus in us. It's not us striving, pulling ourselves up by our moral bootstraps. Christianity is faith in a living Christ. He's still alive and well. He indwells us. I and my Father make our home in you, and his Spirit indwells us. So stay connected to Jesus. Walk in tune with the Spirit. And that's going to be the key in this Philippians passage, is we have to take steps, certain steps to enjoy this peace of God. We have to abide. This is nothing new. Men of old have always followed the Lord and walked closely with him and enjoyed this fruit of the Spirit's work. I mean, just think of some of them. The fruit of the Spirit, which is peace, allowed Daniel to, to spend the night in a lion's den in perfect peace, while King Darius, who sentenced him to death, couldn't sleep in the palace. This fruit of the Spirit, which is peace, allowed David, although pursued by his enemies for death, to say in Psalm 4, in peace I lie down and I sleep. Because you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Are you able to sleep peacefully? It's only something the Spirit of God could produce in you when you abide in Christ, when you walk in the Spirit. This is the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, in a man named Peter that allowed him to sleep soundly in jail or a Paul and a Silas to rejoice and praise the Lord with peace in prison, or a Stephen to pray for his persecutors in the face of death, a Paul to comfort others in the middle of a shipwreck and a storm at the end of Acts. This is the fruit of the Spirit that allows you to remain calm during finals week, during a blowout on the highway, in the middle of a job loss, in the middle of a financial reversal or in the break of a relationship? Or how about this one? This is the fruit of the Spirit that can produce peace in someone when they sit in a doctor's office and they hear the doctor say, I'm sorry to tell you, but it is malignant. It's cancer. And I saw that peace firsthand in my own father's life as he comforted me with the news, son, I've got 
terminal cancer. I've got six months, but it's okay. I know the Lord. I get a brand new resurrection body one day. He was comforting me. He had such peace. It's what we sing about in that old hymn. Peace, perfect peace, in this dark world of sin, with thronging duties pressing us, with sorrows surging around us, and loved ones far away. Some of you are missing mom and dad right now. Our future all unknown, but peace, perfect peace, because Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. Does that bring you peace? When you meditate on the right things, when you preach the gospel to your heart, when you meditate on his sovereignty, peace floods in. It's called abiding. And so here in verses 4 through 9 of Philippians 4, we have some antidotes for worry. You never worry, right? I, I never do. I, I have struggled with anxiety in, in recent years, so much so that there have been two times I've gone to the emergency room thinking I'm having a heart attack. And they say, sorry, sport, you're, you're, you're good. You might be anxious. There might be some anxiety. What's going on in your life? Well, I'm pastoring a church, and we've got twins on the way, and I've got five kids at home, but I'm fine. <laughs> well, those are the times I have to run to the Lord and preach the gospel to my heart and meditate on good theology found in the scriptures. I have to fight for peace. I have to abide in Christ. And so, I mean, here's Paul right here in verse, verse 6. He addresses the reality of anxiety that we all struggle with, the experience of storms in life. He says, do not be anxious about anything. He addresses anxiety because we're all prone to it. And I'm thankful that he realizes the reality that we all face. And, and listen, if anyone had an excuse to worry, it'd be the Apostle Paul. I mean, consider his stormy life, his thorn in the flesh that the Lord wouldn't take away, or his persecutors, his incarceration, his responsibility to the churches, the dangers he faced daily. Yet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he commands us not to worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety is so powerful. It's so destructive. It's an inside job that steals our peace, our, our good intentions, our victories. It's it's a terrible thing. It, it, it leads to physical headaches and neck aches and back aches and ulcers and runs to the emergency room because you think you're having a heart attack. It's real. But even worse, it, it hinders your intimacy with God. It gets in the way of intimacy with the Lord. Because often, often anxiety, it betrays a lack of trust in the Lord. Not always, but often it does. It betrays a, a mindset. And so he has an antidote for worry. He says, instead of worrying about all things, number one, pray about all things, right? What we have are really three conditions he gives us, three antidotes to worry. The first one's in verse six. You need right praying. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thankful hearts, present your request to the Lord. A second antidote for worry, not just right praying, but verse eight, right thinking, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Get your mind right. So pray right. Verse 8, think right. Verse 9, live right. He says, whatever you've learned and received or heard from me and seen in me, now put it into practice. 
follow my apostolic authority and instruction, which is preserved for us in the scriptures. Submit, obey, live right, and you'll be flooded with God's peace. So the first one is pray right. First antidote to worry and anxiety is pray right, verse 6. He says, instead of praying, worrying about all things, pray about all things. The only possible way for me not to worry is to be able to refer all those distresses and problems to the Lord, to just put them at his feet. Lord, I can't deal with all this. I don't even know the solutions. I don't even know what to ask. But Lord, I'm putting them right here at your feet, at the bottom of your throne. Anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. They're the opposite of each other. It just doesn't even know good. It's a waste of time and energy and resources to sit around and worry. That's why I get out of bed early in the morning and go make my coffee and get my face in my Bible because if I don't, I'll lay there and worry about everything. And, and worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't do you any good. And so instead, instead of worrying, why don't you go to infinite resources? Go to your God. Run to him. Lay it at his feet. Prayer is the general word there. Pray at all times, we're told. And it's, it's supplication, Lord help. It's petition, asking for your requests in your daily bread. It's, it's adoration, it's praise, it's, it's thanksgiving, it's fixing your gaze on the king instead of all the problems around you. It makes sense. So pray. But he says, he has a qualification, pray with thanksgiving, he says. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray Put your request before the Lord with a thankful heart. Because a, a complaining heart is not a tranquil heart. Isn't that true? Complaining or over-concern about your problems is not going to help you. Instead, be thankful. Thank the Lord for all the things you do have. Use your mental energy on that. Thank the Lord and practice it. It's a proactive approach to thinking. There, there's the story of Matthew Henry. He was a, a pastor and a, a Bible commentator, and he decided he was going to practice Thanksgiving, and he would journal his gratitude. One day, someone stole his wallet. Someone stole his wallet, and so he went back and wrote in his journal these words. Okay, practice thankfulness. I'm thankful that he never robbed me before. I'm thankful that although he took my wallet, he didn't take my life. Number three, I'm thankful that although he took all I had, it wasn't that much anyway. <laughs> and number four, I am thankful that it was I who was robbed and not the one any longer doing the robbing. He made lemonade out of lemons. He, instead of focusing on the problems, focused on the king who calmed storms. So a person who leans on the Lord with a thankful, prayerful heart is someone of serenity. That subjective peace and tranquility will flood your soul and protect your thought life and your feelings, your heart. And so we sing, stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. Stayed upon Jehovah. Lean into him. Lean deeper in. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel is king, uh, told by King Darius, you can pray to no one except for me, the king. So Daniel goes to his room and he opens the windows and he prays as he always had before. And in Daniel 6, it says, he prayed and gave thanks before the Lord. And he made supplication, verse 11. What was the result? 
peace in the midst of difficulty because as we said earlier, he spends the night in the lion's den in perfect peace while the king in his palace tosses and turns. First condition for victory over worry, pray. Pray with a thankful heart. Petition the king. And then the other two are pretty quick. Verse 8, you have to pray rightly, you have to think rightly. Think rightly. Finally, brothers and sisters, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, how about we meditate on those things? Think on those things. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, to the Lord, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Mr. Tuttle often will say, Micah Tuttle, one of my buddies, he's my hunting buddy. He often says, if you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. Your thought life's pretty important. It has major ripple effects. Your beliefs will affect your values, which affect your behavior, your life. So important that we have a biblical worldview. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to discern what pleases God and what his perfect will is. So it all starts with our thought life. What am I putting in? Junk in, junk out. Think God's thoughts after him. Meditate on who he is and what he's done. Go to Psalm 103 and meditate on God's character and his blessings for all of us. Get your mind right. There's a doctor, he did a survey on worry, and he he indicated that only 8% of the things that people worry about are legitimate matters of concern. The other 92% are either imaginary, never happened, or involve matters that we have no control over anyway. So how about instead of meditating on our worries and our concerns and on trash, we meditate on Good things, not lies and rubbish, but things that are noble and true and excellent. And let's meditate on Jesus. I mean, isn't this Jesus sitting for the portrait here? Everything that's good and pure and excellent, and that's the Lord Jesus. Meditate on his person. Isn't that the gospel? Excellent and worthy and admirable and lovely and true and right and pure. Meditate on the gospel. Preach it to your hearts daily. This is Jesus described here. So you are what you eat. So can I just be honest? And I fight this myself. How do you expect to reap peace when you sow the trash that you're looking at on your phones for hours at a time? You know you sit on the toilet and you scroll through that phone for 20, 30, 40 minutes. You waste time. That's why I try not to take my phone to the lavatory anymore. And it just, it's reality, right? It, that kind of hits home. And, and what, what we're seeing is that the scrolling and going through mindless shorts and videos and endless information only exaggerates the anxiety. I literally sit there and do it, and then I go, ah, oh, I feel anxious on the inside. All this information, but so much of it is just trash. It doesn't help me. The phone's a blessing and a curse. Be wise. And then lastly, he just says, right living. It's verse 9. Whatever you've learned and received and heard from me or or seen in me, put it into practice. 
I am an apostle and I've given you the word of God. I have apostolic tradition and truth. It's now preserved in the scripture for us. Submit to it. Obey it. Abide. And you know this is true, that if you're disobeying the Lord, and you're not walking in his will and you're not submitting to his counsel, that sin hinders intimacy and it causes anxiety and a a bruised conscience. Can we just ask you to abide by obeying? Be in submission to the Lord and his word. Right prayer, right thinking, right living. Submit and obey and bear the fruit of peace.